0: Hey ladies, welcome back to the show. I'm so happy that you're here. So today's episode, we are going to talk about things that are and changes that are happening in our bodies now and how lifestyle plays an important role in maintaining and preserving our health as we transition from our reproductive years into phases of perimenopause and menopause. We've talked in the past about just health consequences as a whole, but I really want to dig deeper into some things that we can do now and what are some issues that may be facing us soon enough because of the change in our hormone levels and how we can make some changes now that may help as we continue to age and go through the process. Before we start the episode, I want to remind you that I have a free Facebook community. It's a small community now, and I'm growing it. So i love to have you in there. It is helpful to, you know, just kind of like meet people in that group, because a lot of times I'm behind this microphone and I don't actually get to put a face with, you know, with who I'm talking to. So it's really great to kind of come in there and, and to engage with people, And, and, you know, just kind of figure out what what people are going through so we can talk about it and become a community of women that do talk about it and talk about what's more part of the aging process. So if you'd like to join, head on over to my free Facebook community, Whole Health Empowerment Project. So we're going to spend time talking about what happens to our bodies as we, you know, move away from... Reproductive and childbearing age into perimenopause and menopause. And I wanted to spend some time talking about this because I feel like this process is, it lasts, it could last for many years. So it can last for months or many years. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen during that time. So I wanted to really spend some time digging deep into what is particularly happening and lifestyle changes that we can make to lessen the consequences of those fluctuating hormones and those changes so that as you continue to age, you're able to preserve your health. Now, the lifestyle recommendations are probably not going to be anything earth shattering, but I wanted to you know, talk about it because I feel like you know, we talk about disease states and things like that in a broad range, but I really wanted to bring it down to what is happening at this particular time and this particular season in your life and how lifestyle will affect and improve this season. If you're able to do some of these things and how it will help protect your health as you, as you continue to age. So, the big thing that's happening during this time is fluctuating hormone levels, right? So, depending on your age, depending on your medical condition, you may not be in menopause yet. You may be perimenopausal. You may be in menopause. So, you know, everybody's kind of in a different place. But during these peak reproductive years, when you were able to have children, or maybe you chose not to have children, but you had the capability of having children your hormones fluctuated at a predictable rate. So you probably felt like you were going to get your period at a time that was normal for you. And then you actually got your period. And so as we start to make the transition away from these childbearing years, our hormones fluctuate the same, but at they fluctuate. So they still have fluctuations, but at a much more unpredictable rate than previously, causing irregular periods to occur. So you may feel like that you're going to get your period and then it just never happens, but you still have those same things that are happening in your body without the period. So as levels of your hormones estrogen and progesterone start to fluctuate erratically, some of the things that we as women will start to experience are things like hot flashes and irregular periods night sweats and mood changes and irritability and fatigue, and the list goes on and on and on. So this fluctuating hormones puts us at risk for, it just puts us at risk for other diseases and other things happening in our body. And so that's what I wanted to talk about first. So again, I wanted, before we dive into this, I wanted to talk about this because This transition can last for a few months or many years, and I think it's important to review the lifestyle factors that may help manage the symptoms and get your body ready as it enters into its new season of life. So the first one, when we talk about these fluctuating hormone levels that I feel like people talk about is weight gain, right? And so, yeah, I think weight gain is a one that I hear most women complain about. And during this time, you may experience weight gain, which is part of this normal process. And so here's a few reasons why this is something that could happen. So you have these fluctuating hormones, you have your estrogen and progesterone, right? Because of that, you may have lower estrogen levels, which can lead to you know, a storage of visceral fat in your abdomen. So maybe previously it was like, you would notice that you were more of a pear shape. So you stored some fat in your hips because that's what's really great. And you need that during your childbearing years. But as you have this change in your hormone levels, you may notice that you are having an increased waistline than you did before. So that might be one way that you may notice you know, some weight gain. Another thing that's happening in your body is that you're having these change in your other hormones or your hunger and appetite hormones. And so all of a sudden you may have these like intense cravings for foods that maybe you wouldn't normally eat. So you may be, you know, craving fatty and high fat and high sugar and high sodium food items. So maybe previously you know, you didn't have that craving. And then now all of a sudden it is like, you can't, you feel like it's very uncontrollable. And then another thing that's happening is, is that at this particular stage in our life, you know, we may have, when we may have this decrease in our activity level, because maybe our demands in life at home, at work are really high. And so because of that, you know, you may not be as active as you were 10 years ago. And so all of these things, this increase in visceral fat, this increase in hormones, which, you know, this change in your hormones, which may lead to cravings and subsequent weight gain. And then this decrease in activity level, all of these things are important during this period because that extra weight gain and all of those things in combination increase your risk for osteoporosis, heart disease, and diabetes, and this is kind of the stage in our life where we're going to start getting these diagnoses, right? So what can you do about it? Well, certainly when I talk about waking in this, on this podcast, I'm never advocating for you to go crazy and go on an extreme, you know, weight loss diet or anything like that. And I'm not even saying to you that you may, that you will gain weight during this time. I'm just, I just wanted to kind of talk about and normalize what is happening in your body and to give you and let you know that there are things that you can do about it. Right. So some of the lifestyle things and that are going to help during this is to have some good nutrition. And so when I talk about good nutrition, what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about eating fruits veggies and whole grains, making sure that they're an everyday part of your diet. You know, I even recommend as much as three to five servings of fruits and veggies a day. Most people aren't getting nearly this amount. Maybe you're only getting one or two. So even if you're able to increase that recommendation to three servings a day, well, that's a win. And why I like all of these foods, the fruits and veggies and whole grains is that they're all really high in fiber and obviously, if you're eating more servings of them, you're going to get more fiber. And why fiber is so important is that it helps decrease your risk of diabetes. You know, I know that you're all, I mean, because I'm right there with you, I'm 46. And so I'm constantly or at least yearly getting my blood work and looking at my hemoglobin A1C. And sometimes it's been high and sometimes it's been normal. So, It is important. And I know that all of you are going to start getting screened for this too. And so fiber also helps us feel really full and that can help with the cravings that you may have. And it also may help with the hunger that you may be having related to the cravings and related to the change in your leptin and ghrelin, your hunger and appetite hormones. Some research also suggests that eating foods with omega-3 fatty acids may help transition as we go into menopause. So these kinds of foods look like things like avocado and fish oils or fish and flaxseed. And, you know, another thing is when we're talking about this research is also trying to limit any of your intake to foods that may cause inflammation. And so this would be like foods that are like overly processed and fried foods when it comes to nutrition and weight loss practices, and just what your diet is overall, you know, limiting the amount of alcohol and caffeine that you have every day will also help reduce hot flash symptoms that may be prevalent during this time and poor sleep. So too much alcohol can add calories, right? And, promote poor sleep and all of those or the combination of the two of them can ultimately lead to weight gain so I would say you know there's all this research about like oh alcohol is so good for your heart and all these things but really for a woman intake of alcohol should be no more than one a day that's the recommendation I don't even know if it's one a day but I know it's like you know it's it's one at a or one at one to sitting as opposed to multiple so you'd have to double check that information I I, I do have a, another podcast episode that talks about that in here that I can link in the show notes. And then lastly, when we're talking about weight gain, we're talking about looking at your lifestyle and your eating pattern in general. So I'm not saying to go in and start cutting calories and doing all of that because the focus is is to improve your overall health, because all of these things that you're going to do to help with weight gain, these recommendations, they improve your overall health. They just don't help weight gain. And so part of that is looking at your lifestyle pattern and how you're eating And, you know, acknowledging if you are really hungry, hungry or full, or if it's more of a habit, because you may be living and you likely are living a much more sedentary lifestyle than you did maybe 10 years ago. And so because of that, you may not need to eat as much as you did 10 years ago, because your body may not require that because again, you may not have as much lean body mass as you did 10 years ago. So that would be the first thing is just tweaks that you can make in your diet to help with weight gain, to help with weight gain, which is something that is present during this, you know, life change and that it's totally normal. And so why it becomes present in this is also the next thing that we're going to talk about, which is less muscle mass. So for a lot of us, life is super busy and we are less active And we may have, you know, aches and pains and injuries that prevent us from being as active as we perhaps used to be this like sedentary or less active lifestyle contributes to loss of muscle mass. And then what ends up happening is, is you may have a redistribution of fat and muscle mass that happens with inactivity and with aging. So when I'm talking about lean, less muscle mass, how would you know if that's happening? Well, you may notice that you're eating the same amount and that your clothes are tighter, or that maybe the number on the scale is exactly the same, but somehow your clothes are fitting different. Has that ever happened to you? Well, that's because you're having this redistribution of less muscle and more fat, which is why your previously fitting clothes are now tighter. And so why does this happen? Well, again, you have these like fluctuating hormones that are going on and coupled with these cravings that you may get that you're having weight gain. But now you may also be having and being much more, much less active than you previously were. And so because you're less active, you don't probably have as much muscle mass as you did previously. And so then what happens is, is muscle mass in itself helps burn more calories at rest. So when you're not, when you're not working your muscles, then you burn less calories at rest. So as we age and we lose muscle mass, we gain more fat because there's just that redistribution of fat and muscle mass that happens with the fluctuating hormones. And then it's coupled by we're not you know, we're not exercising as much. And so we expend less calories at rest. The result often ends up being a slower metabolism and less calorie requirement than maybe we needed previously. So less muscle mass, you know, you, you know, with this scale, that's another reason why it's not always encouraged to weigh yourself because as you get older, you may weigh exactly the same amount, but the scale has no way to differentiate, or at least most scales out there on the market that you're going to have, have no real way to differentiate what the body composition of your, of your weight is. So say you weigh 175 pounds. Well, maybe you have 175 pounds and you have a lot of muscle mass. But it doesn't tell you that on the scale. It, it, there's no way for you to know it, and so you could also be 175 pounds and look completely different than somebody who has more muscle mass because maybe you have more fat mass. And so the the scale doesn't let you know the composition of how your body is is made up at this particular time. So what do you do if you're if you're feeling this way and if you notice that you have less muscle mass? Well you, you know, having some kind of consistent physical activity, especially during this time is really important because it helps manage your weight. It helps manage stress. It helps increase muscle and bone mass, all of which are taking a hit or are factors at this particular period in your life. So increasing any aerobic activity will help manage the day-to-day stress, manage your weight, and will also help decrease that visceral fat that you have around your waistline. And then by doing regular physical activity that helps with muscle mass, increasing muscle mass. And then, you know, and I'm, and I'm not talking anything crazy here. I'm talking about like just going for a walk, which is helpful. Everyone can do it for the most part. Not obviously not everyone can do it, but if you're able to do it, that is probably the simplest way to start. And you know, you're using your body weight against gravity when you're walking. So all of that's going to help the walking in itself, because it's going to decrease your risk of heart disease, diabetes. It's going to help with bone mass. It's going to help with weight control. It's going to help with that visceral fat that you have around your waistline. And so physical activity isn't just about self-care and, you know, and making you feel good. There's a lot of other things that it's doing in your body at this particular time. You know, another thing that, that happens during this time, that's kind of related to the less muscle mass is also this decrease in bone mass. So by the time that we go into our forties, we are slowly starting to lose bone mass in addition to muscle mass. But the bone mass becomes important because as we start to age, especially for women, you're going to be at risk for osteoporosis with this loss in bone mass. So as menopause strikes, bone density and bone loss is much greater. And the research is devastating, really. Research suggests that you during as menopause strikes and then after menopause, you can lose as much as 20 percent of your total bone density during this time. So that's devastating. I mean, I think that increases, I mean, it does increase your risk of osteoporosis, but think about for each generation to come, if you're unable to preserve that, that, um, that bone mass and what your bones will look like and what your risk is as you get older of, you know, of having a decreased, lifestyle because you may have fractured or, you know, hurt some of your bones and you have osteoporosis. So by the age of 30, your bones will be as strong as they ever will be. And then when you're in your forties, you're starting to lose bone mass as you move into your fifties and menopause strikes, this bone loss is just so great. And then some research suggests, again, that 20% loss of bone density happens within five to seven years of menopause. So lifestyle factors can also play an important role in helping slow down this bone loss that we may be experiencing. And that's what we're going to chat about right now. So what has been linked to poor bone health is typically a poor diet. And that could be, you know, drinking excessive alcohol. When we talk about excessive, I'm talking about more than three drinks per day. If you have too much caffeine or you're drinking a lot of cola. So it's typically like dark colored soft drinks that really do a number on your bone health and lack of exercise, right? Because you're not going to have exercise helps improve bone mass and also helps improve muscle mass, both of which are going to be important here. So how can you maintain the bone mass that you already have? Well, I would say when it comes to your diet, getting enough calcium and vitamin D. So our our intake of calcium and vitamin D start to increase as you are 50 and older. So Women under the age of fifty require about a thousand milligrams of calcium and four hundred to eight hundred IU of vitamin D, and so this will be increased. I, this is increased after the age of fifty. Mostly, you're probably going to get some vitamin D in your multivitamin, and you may get some calcium as well in your multivitamin that you're taking. But you may need to also take a supplement if you're not getting enough vitamin D. And you may need to just make sure that you're eating calcium and vitamin D rich foods. So the calcium foods, I think we all kind of know these, but I wanted to make sure that we talked about it was any milk products like cheese or yogurt or non-milk sources such as green leafy veggies and sardines and vitamin D rich sources are going to be things like So that you're going to hear this like repeat pattern again of of eating omega-3 fatty acids. So salmon, tuna, mackerel, vitamin D can also be found in fortified milks and cereals. And more importantly, you're probably going to find it in the sunlight from exposure to the sun in the summer months. And knowing that even though you're out in the sun, you may still be at risk for vitamin D, D deficiency. If you wear excessive sunscreen, if you're obese, or if you live in a location with less sunlight, most doctors are probably going to test you for vitamin D yearly. So that's helpful. I mean, I wouldn't go crazy and take vitamin D supplementation if you don't need it. So I, you know, just as part of your routine blood panel, like yearly, you know, I would just make sure you have a vitamin D level in there to see if you need to have some repletion. And then, and the next way that we can, you know, help with bone mass is to increase your weight bearing activities, which is what we talked about to get our muscles stronger. Well, also it helps get our bones stronger. And so these are things that are, we're using our body weight against gravity that's considered weight bearing activities. So that is Walking, jogging, or going up and down the stairs. And doing these things help protect our bone mass and then also keep us functional as we continue to go through the aging process. Another thing that we hear a lot of people talk about is these low energy levels that happen during menopause or perimenopause. And, you know, there may be that midday slump that you're feeling, or you're feeling overly fatigued. So some quick ways that you can boost your energy levels during the day is to avoid eating any large meals for lunch, especially if those meals are a high in carbohydrates or loaded with fat, because these things may typically cause our energy to drop. This is going to be kind of prevalent. Like if you're going out to eat and out at a restaurant and you're getting like a pretty big portion at lunchtime. This is how you're going to notice this is that you may notice that even though you've eaten this big meal, you're like exhausted and tired right after you've eaten that meal. So instead you may want to choose smaller meals and eat throughout the day so that you can maintain your energy levels throughout the day. Another thing that's going to be like, again, you're going to see these over these overlapping themes here in exercising and and what you're eating, because these are really the things that are going to help you get through this. It's kind of the same recommendations for all of these things that we're doing. There's a bit of exercise and diet that plays a role in here. So snacking on fruits and veggies throughout the day contain fiber, which helps you to feel longer and helps maintain your blood sugar levels so that you can avoid any spikes or dips in your blood sugar. You know, you want to try to avoid becoming dehydrated because that could lead to overall fatigue and engaging in any kind of physical activity throughout the day will also help, you know, give you that energy boost that you may be looking for. And then quickly, I just want to talk about lifestyle things that you can do too, to help manage these symptoms of the fluctuating hormones that you may be going through. So, you know, we'll talk about getting more sleep. So sleep is going to help in general, make you feel less irritable and make you feel a little bit more focused if you're able to get enough. So during this time fluctuating hormones, perimenopause or menopause, you may be having a really hard time sleeping, and then that can trigger and make the hot flashes a lot worse. So making sure that you're getting enough sleep will help with, you know, feeling like you're less irritable and may help with the hot flashes and it may help improve your mood and your energy levels that you have as well. And so there's going to be a lot of things that are going to, you know, that, go and make us that kind of like interfere with our sleep. But I just want to kind of remind you of a couple. And I think the biggest thing is like putting those electronics away at least an hour before you go to sleep, avoid anything that disrupts your sleep, like having caffeine before bed. You may notice that you're more sensitive to caffeine now as you're getting older, smoking before you go to bed and also avoiding any kind of alcohol as well, because that's going to hinder your sleep cycle. And just making sure that you, you know, are establishing some like some kind of wind down time for yourself. So that may mean like whatever it is for you, that's going to help you get into that sleep mindset. So whether that's reading a book or journaling or listening to music or stretching anything that's going to help you, because ultimately that's going to help, you know, if, if you're not sleeping that great that helps with like, you know, it increases cortisol levels. So there's, it impacts your body much more than you probably know. If you're tired, you're most likely going to, you know, not make the best decisions in terms of eating the next day. It may hinder how much you can exercise the next day because you're too exhausted. So it's just something I wanted to kind of throw out there. And then lastly, practicing stress reduction. So we as women, and especially now in this age of perimenopause, menopause, You may feel like you're in this like constant state of stress and this chronic stress, it can lead to chronic inflammation in our bodies. And what happens is, is that you have this release of a stress hormone called cortisol and cortisol can lead to an increased hunger and a desire for these high fat foods, right? And so because of that that release of cortisol you may notice that you are having waking fatigue and you know storage of visceral fat and practicing ways to reduce chronic stress will also help improve your sleep decrease your cortisol levels and help manage your weight and so trying to figure out a way of reducing stress in your life whatever that looks like for you it could be You know, engaging in physical activity. It could be meditating. It could be coloring. It could be reading. Or, you know, some people do acupuncture, whatever it is for you that will help manage the symptoms of stress for you. Like, it's important to remember that managing all of these symptoms now will not only allow for promotion of a healthy lifestyle now, but it will help you kind of preserve the health that you have. And to practice these things as you move into menopause. So in summary, and thanks so much for, for sticking in here with me, guys, like you're going to notice some overlapping themes in all of this, you're going to notice that good nutrition and regular exercise and sleeping enough and, you know, reducing your overall stress all are going to be beneficial now, as you are in this phase of fluctuating hormones of perimenopause and menopause but they're also going to be important as you continue to age to preserve your health. So, you know, I think we're kind of getting to this place, like, you know, I I mean, at least I know I'm getting to this place of like, I'm not 20 years old anymore. And me getting diabetes or osteoporosis or heart disease is becoming, you know, a little bit more of something that's a scary idea for me. And so perhaps you are experiencing that too. Well, engaging in these behaviors that we've talked about, you know, like getting activity, eating well, and getting sleep and reducing your stress are all going to be ways that you can start to decrease your risk of de- de- developing these diseases. So as you can see, these lifestyle suggestions are kind of all interrelated as each each of the behaviors can help manage some of the other symptoms that are going on as you have these fluctuating hormone levels during this time. So you know, just kind of start where you're at and just start to figure out what will work for you and what changes that will help make your symptoms right now a little bit better. Like any behavior change, start small and practice consistently. And knowing that any kind of action that you take right now will help improve your symptoms and help preserve your health as you move through the aging process. So taking any kind of action is better than taking no action at all. So start where you're at, even a 1%, you know, just make that 1% change and keep doing it. And over time, you will see a result. So thanks for listening. And I look forward to seeing you guys back here next week. Take care and have a good week. If you found value in this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Being a busy woman or mom doesn't mean that we have to give up on our health, wellness, or self-care. Together, we can take tiny, imperfect steps towards creating the whole health we desire and deserve. You can find us at WholeHealthEmpower.com or on Instagram at wholehealthempower. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.